0: Support for a quick timeout podcast is brought to you by our friends at Dr. Dish Basketball. College and professional teams from around the country rely on Dr. Dish shooting machines to help improve their players' development. Whether it's in the gym or at home in your driveway, Dr. Dish will improve your basketball workouts. To find out more about how Dr. Dish can help your program, visit drdishbasketball.com. I want to welcome to the show Coach Ray Lokar, Director of Coaching for Gold Standard Coaching. Coach, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Well, oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So those that have been listening to the series that we're doing this week, just remembering Coach Wooden, the anniversary of his passing. Coach, do you recall the first time you were introduced to Coach Wooden? Oh
1: yeah, absolutely. I just got goosebumps a little bit. You know, growing up in the seventies in Los Angeles, obviously, you know, that was that was the time. And UCLA was my team and he was the guy and paid a lot of attention to that. Um, one of the very first games I remember seeing as the on, on tv is the the elvin hayes uh al cinder matchup in the in the Astro Bowl and a couple other games that season so that's the era where i started really paying attention to basketball and then getting into coaching had an opportunity to work coaches camps so you know initially there's this aura when you walk in the gym the first time uh or coaches meeting and uh then you realize he's he's just like you expect you know he's a he was a detailed grandfather uh, by, by that point uh so uh so yeah i had a lot of special times uh during those camps especially
0: so we've had so far several of the former players and those who have known him. And one of those was Swin Nader. And when I talked to Swin, uh, he had several stories and talking about the techniques that coach would use and just kind of about his coaching. And I want to talk more about the teaching side of things today and that the positive coaching aspect that's involved with the, the teaching. And, and so I really, you mentioned, you know, growing up in the 70s and one of the things that had happened in the 70s for those that may not have known, there was actually a study that was done on Coach Wooden. I really want you to, I know you're very familiar with that. So maybe for our listeners, explain what that was, the purpose of it, and then some of the major findings that resulted from that study.
1: Yeah, geez, Tony, that's great. It was a study by Tharp and Gallimore. Uh, I read it in uh, psychology today. Uh, And I went to college, I was going to play basketball at Cal Poly Pomona. And I realized that I was going to be a coach, I wasn't going to be a player. So I started coaching and took basketball theory every chance I could. I took it three times while I was there, not not because I failed it. Every (laughs) time a new assistant coach came, you know, he got to teach it. So I learned from three different uh, Pretty, pretty good assistant coaches. Um, but one of the very first papers I did was uh, in a 1976 or 77 paper uh, on Tharp and Gallimore's study. They followed Coach Wooden his last year uh, in 1975, and they didn't know it was his last year, obviously, because he didn't decide until, until Final Four. Um, but they charted every act of, of uh, teaching and coaching that he had, whether it was – uh, a positive, or a scolding, or whether it was instructive, uh, or whether it was to get guys to hustle, and they coded that, uh, and then they put it to percentages. and And my task in my in my paper um, was to go and audio tape one of my practices and see how I compared. And I realized how much time I wasted not teaching uh, and saying things that you know weren't necessary. An interesting, and so that formulated the way that I coached early, early in my career when I was in my early 20s. When I got to coach uh, at Coach Wooden's camps, after a couple of breakfasts, he'd have breakfast at 6.45 every day with anybody that wanted to come, you know, any of the coaching staff. Uh, So never missed one of those. I remember after a a few days and being comfortable, I pointed out that his scolds and his praises were pretty equal. You know, you, you kind of get this image of coach as, you know, being this nice grandfatherly guy. And he wasn't so much, you know, he was demanding. And, and he didn't lavish praise on guys. And one of his points was, um, especially starters, right, they're going to get enough praise. You know, he tried to think about praising his, uh, you know, substitutes a little bit more. And so I pointed out that it was it was about one-to-one. It was, really wasn't that different. And he said something that I'll never remember and i I'll never forget. He said, when you take the time to teach your boys, there's an implied belief that they can achieve. And that belief is praise in itself. And I said that in my head, in, in Coach's voice, and I hear exactly the way he said it and how he said it and what he intended to say. So to me, he was telling me, you, you need to teach more, right? And when you teach, that fills a, a player's personal bank account, you know, and, uh, and they can achieve more. So I um, took that forward in my coaching a little bit. Uh, and then in about 2005, uh, I became involved with Positive Coaching Alliance. And uh, one of the big principles there this magic ratio that was studied up at the university of Washington on praise versus, you know, negative connotations, negative talk. And, uh, five to one was the ratio that they were trying to get to. And I'm thinking back now to Tharp and Gallimore study and I'm thinking coach was one to one, Mm -hmm. but coach thought that teaching was praise. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the paper and I added all of the acts of teaching to all of the positive praises and comments that contained positive messages. And it was just about five to one. Mm -hmm. It was pretty amazing that it came out that way, uh, while not intended to be that at all. And then when you go back and study all sorts of people, whether it's Tarkanian or Summit, uh, it really comes down to to those figures. And that's kind of where the, the sweet spot that I try to get coaches to think about.
0: One of the things that I was just reading last night, because I I had looked at that study as well, going through grad school and had done some research on it, and I saw a follow-up to it. And one of the things they said, if they could go back and do it again, which I think they actually did at one point go back and kind of look over it, but said, we wish that we had talked and gotten more data in regards to talking to players and talking to the coaches for the very reason that you just mentioned. I think sometimes coaches they have the reasons for why they're doing it, but unless you ask the questions as to why they're doing it, others may not necessarily understand it. The reason I brought that up is, so explaining more and kind of looking more into not just what Coach Wooden did, but then for us today, when we say, this is zooming out now, positive coaching, teaching, the ratio that you just mentioned there, what should that look like for us today? And maybe what did it look like for Coach Wooden then? You've already touched on some of those things, but for even for us, kind of more practical application, what should that look like in our practices today?
1: Yeah, well, you, you can't get wrong, go wrong just by teaching and coaching, right? Just by teaching. Um, so to me, that kind of takes all of the, I don't want to say emotion, but judgment out of it, right? I would start every practice, whether people like it or not, you know, the, the three-man weave. And Coach Wood as well. And he'd do his five-line footwork drills. And a lot of the beginning of our practice was similar to to his. And I don't use the weave because we're ever going to do that in a game. It doesn't transfer at all. But it gets you passing. It gets you moving. It gets you passing and catching. And I wanted it to get us thinking as well. I wanted to get us focused. And so we had to do our weave up and back five passes, four passes, three passes, and then two passes. And the two pass was really an outlet, a long pass and a layup. But we had to do it the whole time without the ball hitting the floor and without missing the layup. And if we didn't, we had to start again. I remember hearing Ralph Miller at a clinic, you know, if you can't pass and catch, you know, there's no sense in going on to the next thing, right? And so his practices started similar. I figured if it was good for, you know, Coach Wooden and Ralph – you know maybe I'd give that a try as a young coach, and it stuck so you know the 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 focus on perfection was was really important to me and and explaining to them that you know the reason that we make mistakes often is because there's pressure, and we're we're in a hurry, and coach's biggest mantra was to be quick, but don't hurry so you know we would we would get them to focus a little bit more, and when they would make a mistake. In my early days, I'd rant and rave. How could you throw that pass? How could you miss it? My first three sentences had nothing to do with the play. Um, instead of just teaching and not making any judgment, just get back on the line. These are our standards, right? So instead of having a lot of this, these rules and things that I'm going to rant, right? No, we're going to have standards. We didn't reach that standard. So let's get back on the line and do it again. And it never became, a, you know, it took away my anger uh, a lot when I realized, no, just teach and let's reach our standards. So, so I think coach was was big on that. Now, after having coached a number of years and having kids and coaching all four of my kids, they all f- four played something collegiately, I realized that that as a coach, if I can just remember to reward desired effort relentlessly, every time, then I'm probably going to achieve that five to one, because the, the, the one is there for a reason. Like, you're, you're going to scold people, you're going to correct people, they're going to have mistakes, and, you know, all those things are going to happen. So, you can't do anything about those, so you need to make up for it with a lot of the positive memories. And, and it's not just what you say. Right? It's all of the things, right? You give a kid a t-shirt, you put his arm around him, pat him on the back, telling him he did a good job. I mean, that's three, four, you know, things right there, right? Smile at him, use his name in a positive tone. You're getting all sorts of money in the bank. Mm-hmm. So when you really think about doing those things and develop that relationship with the kid where he knows you care about him, that creates so many more positive memories than really the corrections that you're going to make anyway. So I think if we concentrate more on those things we're going to get to where we want, no matter how tough a coach we are.
0: We have the advantage now for, you know, 40, 50 years later of having so much research that's been done and, and and to know what it looks like to be an effective teacher or how to go about being an effective teacher, but the pedagogical techniques that Wooden used what put him ahead of his time.
1: Yeah. um, I think that uh, his, his attention to detail and planning, was, was critical. In this time of distance learning, my wife is, is uh, tutoring um, online, and she'll have a 20 or 30 minute tutoring session, but it'll take her an hour to prepare that lesson. And coach wouldn't always just talk about how much more time it took to prepare a good practice than to actually run a good practice. So preparation you know, is the key. Then once you are prepared, you know, trying to stick to that and just be focused on teaching, right, just like we expect our players to focus on learning and executing, you know, we should not lose that, you know, that mindset either, you know, and I think emotion gets into our coaching a little bit too often uh, in practice or in games, and we lose sight of what we're really after. One of the techniques that I think Tharp and Gallimore were particularly um, excited about that they used, I think they went and Made created schools in Hawaii, and you know, used things in the classroom. Um, they used to call him a wooden. And if, and if I remember, it was a uh, if it, it, it was a scold, reinstruct sequence. He would recognize something. He would you know get their attention with uh, a quick scold, but then he would he would just go back to just teaching it again. Then send them with something positive and a hustle. I think he would always use things like you're you know you you're better than that ex you know I expect more from you and you know things that you know might inspire a kid to try a little bit harder, so that combination of praises and scolds and instructions all within the same sentence paragraph you know moment you know I think can can resonate with with kids and kind of get their attention get them to listen, and then make them feel good that you just corrected them.
0: You've mentioned a couple of these already. And as I've asked this next question to the guests, it's been funny, it's almost been kind of a theme as to what they've talked about the previous time leading up to that question. And then the quote goes along with it, but he's known for so many of his quotes, his wooden isms, maybe one that sticks out to you or one that's guided you or been an influence on you, or maybe even something that inadvertently you kind of live by every day.
1: For sure. It's so many. So, you know, I'm outside, my office is full of pyramid stuff and quote stuff, but you know, this is my little Zen courtyard a little bit that I'll uh, chill out a little bit out here and things work out best for those to make the best of the way that things work out. It has nothing to do with basketball and everything to do with life, but a little bit about basketball. That was one from a young age that just guided guided my life more so than my coaching right that whatever happens happens now let's make the best of it and what are we going to do next and that could be a possession right well we didn't we didn't execute that very well on offense we better play well on defense let's make the best of it or we made a mistake at work something happened now we now we got to make the best of it so that's one of them and i had mentioned be quick but don't hurry earlier and then one that I used that my kids probably got tired of uh, is uh, if you can't find the time to do it right, when are you going to find the time to do it over? <laughs> so do it right the first time. You know, I I, w- I would say if any uh, those are three big ones
0: along the lines of the series remembering Coach Wooden. We're getting to the point where the generation that's coming up of coaches John Wooden is just this person that coached college basketball, won a lot of national championships. So remembering who he is, how would you like this next generation, or what would you like this next generation to remember about Coach Wooden?
1: So over time, one of my biggest realizations is that if you really focus on, on the simple things, you have a better chance of success. I remember, you know, all of those classes that I said I took basketball theory, you'd get stacks and stacks of information. I remember by the time I was a head coach, I would drop this three-inch, three-ring binder to my assistant coaches and say, this is our philosophy, go teach it. And yet, you know, when I wrote that paper, I think my conclusion to the paper was something like, if you care about your kids on and off the floor, work as hard as you expect them to, and prove that you're knowledgeable. Then they will listen and try to learn, be the best teammate possible, and give their best effort. So then I coach all these years, and um, we're having a pretty good season and a bad practice. And I went on a mid-practice, you know, rant and tirade, and told them they're playing like they just don't care, and you're know, making the same mistake over and over again. Well, you know, would you just think? And you look like you're not even, you're not even trying. Finish the practice, and I slumped in my desk in the office, and I realized those are the things that I talked about. You know, in my paper 25 years earlier, and I lost sight of them because I got caught up in zone defenses and traps and press breaks and all the minutia of the X's and O's when really, to be successful, I thought we just needed to care, think and try to the best extent possible. And, And I think Coach Wooden was one of the most caring people. If you ever worked his camps or had a chance to drive him home from camp or, you know, have breakfast with him, then, you know, you know he, he treated you like he was just another guy, not this Mount Rushmore of coaches. Those are really, I think, the, the essence, when I think back to coach, that he wanted you to do. He wanted you to care about what you did and how it affected everybody. He wanted to be, you to be a caring person. Uh, he wanted you to be thoughtful. Uh, not just in your actions in basketball, but but in life as well. I, mean, yeah, I demanded your best effort, and I think he laid the groundwork, you know, for a lot of people. Coach Coach Wooden, Ralph Miller, Pete Newell, you know, in the West Coast and the Pack Eight at that time, some great, great coaches. I think that when you think about coach, you know, initially you just think of the pyramid of success, which I think should make a comeback. I don't think it's talked about maybe as much as it was 10 years ago. So in remembering Wooden in this new generation, you know, I'd like to discuss those qualities a little bit more and how it's not only a personal thing from a player to try to achieve each one of those blocks, but as a team, we need to foster and and find roles for people that provide each of those things. Not everybody's going to do everything. But you are going to have that one kid that makes great friendships or that other kid that's really industrious, you know, or that other kid that's really enthusiastic. And when they can exhibit their best attribute, they're being leaders and trying to bring that out of everybody else. You know, I think that uh, focusing on those qualities is way more important than focusing on X's and
0: O's. As you were talking, you referenced the book that you held up a little bit earlier. For those maybe that don't know much about coach i would say personally that probably is the best place or a great place to start at least
1: yeah it's little right and, and it starts you know it's it's snippets so it's easy yeah lifetime of observations with coach wooden i think that's a, a good little uh, cliff note summary if you will of some of his his bigger more extensive writings whether it was by him or about him
0: Before I let you go, Coach, what you do there with gold standard coaching, can you talk about what that is and maybe then how coaches can find out more about that and what you're doing?
1: Like I said, as a coach, I got lost in a lot of stuff. As a young coach, uh, looking for somebody to go to for help, I would tend to go to my peers more often than my superiors. I think I felt as a young coach that if I went to my athletic director for help, particularly at that time, it felt like a sign of weakness, maybe. And I have had, you know, administrators say, you know, don't darken my door with something that you can handle yourself. So it's not always welcoming, even though they say it's an open door policy, (laughs) right? Just don't come in and, you know, waste my time. Because there's so many things that administrators and athletics need to do. As I moved into athletic administration, I realized that. So, I want to be that in between person. Gold Standard Coaching, what we try to do is to give talks and provide some information, but then be an on campus president, make uh, presence and, and make site visits and be available to coaches from a mentoring perspective. Um, I, I have no authority over any of the coaches. I have no hiring and firing. Uh, I'm not a double agent. I'm not gonna go and tell the athletic director what you said, but I wanna be available. And if we wanna talk about practice planning or discipline or coach-parent relationships, we can help do some of those things. Uh, Sometimes we'll do a climate survey for the whole program, what teachers, coaches, and parents and players all think about what's going on in the program, meet with focus groups, and then develop a plan over the course of a year. So it's really a year-long consulting thing where I might do some of the things that an athletic director doesn't have the time to do in, in those regards. Um, so sometimes it's just, uh, it's just, uh, you know, seminars and talks, and sometimes it's much deeper than that with the consulting aspect and goldstandardcoaching.com and I'm at coach Loke on Twitter, which is the easiest place to start, right? Just at coach Loke.
0: has a lot of great stuff on Twitter. So make sure that you go follow him. Coach, thank you very much for joining us today. That was fantastic. Uh, Thanks
1: for having me. It was a pleasure. I look forward to following you as well.
0: Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast, no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.